Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we, we might be having some technical difficulties again with the beginning of the episode. I think you got to Mythic before me. That sounds about right. So whatever you want to re-record the intro this week or next week, I don't know. How long do you think it's going to take you this time? I don't know. A few few more days. <laughs> a few more days. <laughs> yeah. What's up, man? How are uh, how are you doing? How's your weekend? I'm doing well. Weekend's been great. Been jamming a little bit of arena. Uh, I've not quite had time to get to Mythic yet, but I'm I'm on the way. I just got to Diamond last night. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll get there in no time. Just keep forcing Esper or Gates decks and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? It does feel way easier to get to Mythic this time around, right? Because they changed the pairing system. Yeah, well, we also started because we were Mythic last season or whatever. We started at Platinum 4. Yeah, that also helps. But I mean, as a as a Platinum player, like I was getting paired against Bronze and Silver players like pretty consistently because it matches you by record first and then by rank, right? Yeah, I also think, you know, the last time around, I think a lot of pros were grinding the ladder. And I think no one is this month because of the Mythic Championship. I think a lot of the good players are just grinding constructed. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, I think maybe the competition or the pool of competition isn't as deep this time around. Maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, but it does feel a little easier. I also feel like this time around, I kind of know what the bots are doing. It's still in Rivals of Ixalan. Like I sort of knew like what I wanted to do, but I didn't feel like I could force it every time. This feels like I've got like two options and there and one of the two is going to be open every time. Yeah. And can we talk about that again, too? <laughs> because I struggle so much on Arena. My win rate's lower on Arena for sure mm -hmm. than it is on Magic Online right now, like not even close. And I do definitely end up with way worse decks on Arena. Hmm. And I think it's because I just don't feel comfortable drafting with the bots. I don't know. So last time I hit Mythic, I'm a little ashamed to admit this to the world, but it took me forever to get there, right? Like I was mm -hmm. barely above a 50% win rate in Diamond, I'm sure, if I had been tracking it, which I stopped because I was so depressed <laughs> that I was losing so much. But when I got to Mythic, I saw Eric Klug tweet that he had just been forcing black-white vampires the whole way and had some absurd win rate and i was like all right it can't get any worse than this so i just decided to force black white vampires uh -huh. and my win rate shot up to like 90 percent, and i hit mythic in like four drafts so are you just supposed to sit down with an idea of what you want to do and do it i think so i don't think you should be treating it as like a normal draft there are some things that i think you should be taking into account you know you can sort of read some signals but just the fact that you're going to get grasping thrall 10th pick sometimes and the fact that like now the bots are updated with their gate preferences but it doesn't feel like they're taking gates with any sort of semblance of logic you'll see a gate gone early but then you'll see a gate breaker ram fifth or something so it just feels like they're told that they're not supposed to pass gates super late anymore but it doesn't feel like you've got like a dedicated gate drafting bot or something like that so i think you can still really get either good Esper decks or good Gate decks are really the two things you're supposed to be doing. And I don't think you should be doing much else unless like, I don't know, there's a fluke in the bot pairings or something. Right. It does feel like they haven't done personalities yet, right? Where last time around in GRN, they assigned like, okay, you're a Golgari drafter and you want to be an Izzet drafter. And that felt much more real to me once they had given the bots those personalities. It doesn't feel like they've done that yet to me. Right. And I guess, you know, for that to have happened for guilds, I think it took a little while. I think it wasn't until like the end of the format on Arena where it felt like, all right, this is basically like drafting on Magic Online, which makes sense. You know, they need to get a lot of 
data and they need to then I think, yeah, do that some sort of programming bots and then you get paired with seven of those bots or I have no idea how it works, but it doesn't feel right now like you are sitting at a table with seven people drafting decks. Like I imagine at the end of it, the bots would not have cohesive decks. I don't know that for a fact, but that's what it feels like based on what I'm seeing, like wheel around the table or like when I try and read quote unquote signals. Right. And my my best decks so far in the best of one ladder have been focused two color decks. What has your experience been? I've been sort of all over the place. I have a couple like straight black, white, a couple straight red, green decks that have been strong early on. I think that was pre-update. And now post-update, a lot of my stuff have been like two colors with like one or two splashes, actually. So I've, I've been doing different stuff than you, it looks like. Yep. That makes sense because you're winning more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I'm winning against the bots more than you, but not against the real peeps. So let's check in on that trophy leaderboard. You have been crushing it continually. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm 44 drafts deep, uh, 90 and 38 overall record, 14 trophies, and dipped a little bit to a 70% win rate this week. How about you? I'm at 80 drafts, 153 to 81, 18 trophies for a 65% win rate. And then let's move over to the arena where you are crushing it. Uh, yeah, so 15 drafts there, 77 to 31, six quote-unquote trophies, so six, seven, and X records, 71% win rate. Uh, I hit Mythic from Plat 4 in 14 best-of-one drafts. That is insanely impressive. How about you? I haven't been hardcore keeping track yet. I need to start doing that and entering these in the spreadsheet, but I think I have around eight drafts. I would guess somewhere around a 66% win rate, maybe even a little lower than that two trophies and i promise to start taking those screenshots and putting them in the spreadsheet yeah important to start tracking those in the spreadsheets because our sweet sweet patrons have access to all of our draft logs and deck picks so you get to see what's working for us what's not working for us how do you get access to that head on over to patreon.com slash lords of limited where you too could support the show if you are interested and get access to our discord and some other sweet perks like the spreadsheets like the show notes if you want to see the show in a visual form if you want access to as an exclusive chat on discord the patreon hero tier is for you there's a lot of goodies over on patreon discord is a great place to be each and every week we want to make sure that we shout out our new patrons we got a lot of folks to welcome this week so thank you to michael s Trey, Wiley, Ryan, Derek, Ben, Chance, Michael N, Craig, Ramon, Janosch, Fuzzy, Terrence, Adrian. And we have a Lords of Limited first. We had someone request a different name to be shouted out on the show. So we want to also welcome West Seattle Carpool Crew. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. That is so cool. Could you imagine driving to work with other Magic players carpooling every day? You would just talk about pick orders the whole commute. That would be awesome. I would have to have like a job I went to every day for that to be something that I would understand. What do you mean? You like go to you go to a workplace every day? Yeah, that's that's usually how it works. Interesting. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine having like a commute, though. Could you imagine driving 45 minutes two ways every day to go to work? God, that'd be awful. What's your commute? Like 90 seconds? Yeah, something like that. I literally <laughs> live down the block from the school. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. All right. So we have a lot of stuff we're going to get into. Uh, last week, we sort of teased that we're going to be talking about a lot of statistics that have come out of our Trophy Hype channel in Discord. So we're going to have a lot of info for that. And we also are going to talk about sideboarding uh, in general in Ravnica Allegiance. But before we do that, Ben, I got a pretty interesting roundtable for you to take a look at. You ready to take a seat? Let's do it. All right. So pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Skewer the critics, two in a red for a sorcery. Deals three damage to any target with spectacle for a single red. Ill-gotten inheritance, three in a black for an enchantment at the beginning of your upkeep. Iggy deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life and you can pay five in a black to sack it. 
to deal four damage to target opponent and you gain four life. Final payment, white black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast the spell, pay five life or sacrifice a creature or enchantment. Destroy target creature. A couple Ferocious Matters cards at Uncommon. We've got Flames of the Raised Boar, five and a red instant. Deals four to target creature and opponent controls. Then it deals two damage to each other creature that player controls if you control a creature with power four or greater. Clear the stage, four and a black for an instant. Target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. And if you have Ferocious, you may return up to one target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. And your rare is Thrash Threat. So Thrash is Gruel Gruel Hybrid for an instant. For target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls or Planeswalker that player controls. And Threat is two red green for a sorcery to create a 4-4 red and green beast creature token with Trample. Yeah, this is a pretty deep pack. You kind of nailed Flames of the Raised Boar and Clear the Stage on the head in our Crash Course. Mm -hmm. Those cards haven't really panned out. I think they're both best at home in Gruel, like Clear the Stage being splashed in a base Gruel deck. And they do some work there, but you're not always playing those cards which is pretty unfortunate i think because there's yeah. a really high ceiling there there just aren't quite enough four power or more creatures i guess if you have four or five frenzied airings then some more more cards on the top of your curb but you reliably want five six before you're really happy to be running those cards i think the problem with both of those cards is so one when you look at flames of the raised board yeah it's hard to trigger it but then also not every deck you face is it going to be nuts against sometimes it might just deal four to something and then everything else like against maybe and Azorius Drafter, maybe they just have a bunch of like one threes and two threes and one fours and two fives, and it's not really doing much, you know? Like it's it's a setup cost for something that's not always going to do the thing you want it to do. And then for clear the stage, it's just so tough unless you've got like debtors transports basically, or like undercity scavengers that have already sacked a creature. Black doesn't have big creatures, neither in black, white, or black red. So it's really just a splash card. Like the cards are really, really tough to set up. And then even once you've set them up, they don't always do the things you want. Right, so I think Skewer the Critics is ahead of both of those cards for me in a pack one, pick one setting. Would you agree with that? I would agree, yeah. I just don't end up with Skewer. I don't take it quite as highly as the rest of the world, I think, so I just rarely get Skewers in my decks. And where does Final Payment land with you versus Skewer the Critics, pack one, pick one? Pack one, pick one? I'd probably on Skewer over it, pack one, pick one. That's super close, because I really want to be Orzov, and I'm not particularly interested in being Rakdos or Gruul. Yeah, Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, I was pretty confident that final payment was the best common. I don't feel that anymore, but I don't know what I think the best common is. I think it might be Blade Juggler. That's crazy. That's, I, that makes sense to me, but that is, that's a, a wild departure from, from where I was a few weeks ago. Yeah, me too. I, Blade Juggler, it's so good when it's good, though. And even, you know, listening to Owen talk about it on Limited Resources, where yeah. his fail case is also a really good card. Yeah. I think it's just blade juggler yeah that makes a lot of sense to me all right so that takes us to the rare which i think is the pick here so i think i'm on thrash threat out of this pack that's what i took as well i think the card's super flexible you know it's splashable too if you're in a gates deck if you're in a simic deck it's you know you can play thrash in simic you can play thrash in rakdos all that stuff is totally viable and i think the card is great i uh, moved on to pack one pick two where i saw the following cards as options not much in the gruel department uh, if you wanted to stick with thrash threat You've got a Rubble Belt Runner. That's the one red-green 3-3 that can't be blocked by creature tokens. You've got a Simic Guild Gate. You've got an Open the Gate, single green sorcery. Search your library for a basic land card or gate card. Reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. Then we got three pretty good uncommons, or varying degrees of good uncommons. Pitiless Pontiff, white-black for the 2-2. You can pay one to sack another creature for it to gain death, touch, and indestructible until end of turn. Fireblade Artist, black-red for a 2-2 with haste. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may sack a creature. When you do, Fireblade Artist deals two damage to target player or planeswalker. 
and Combine Guild Mage, green blue for the 2 2. One or green tap this turn each creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter, and then you can pay one and a blue to move a plus one plus one counter from one creature you control to another. Yeah, I think this is a pretty clear pitiless pontiff for me. The power level gap between the uncommons and the commons you named is pretty high, and I think of these uncommons, pitiless pontiff is head and shoulders above the rest. Agree, and that is what I took. Moving on to pack one pick three with the red green rare in your pile and the pitiless pontiff. You've got some options. I would say the best gruel option in the pack is frenzied Aranx. That's two red green for the three three with riot trample and four red green. It gets plus three plus oh until end of turn. And you've got two good Orzov options to follow up with Pitiless Pontiff. You've got Syndicate Guild Mage, which I was pretty low on at the start of the format, and then I think got higher uh, based off your recommendations. It's white-black for a 2-2. Pay one and a white to tap target creature with power four or greater, or four and a black tap to deal two damage to target opponent or planeswalker. And there's Ministrant of Obligation. I love this card. Two and a white for a 2-1 with Afterlife 2. Yeah, Ministrant of Obligation is great. This is sort of a tough choice between Ministrant and Frenzied Erynx, but I really want to be Orzov more than I want to be Gruul. And I think Minister of Obligation is just an absolute house. Pairs super well with Pitiless Pontiff. There's a lot of, you know, black and white cards here. Somebody took an uncommon over both of these uncommon. The rare is still in the pack. So pretty unlikely probably that there were three Orzov uncommons with the sheer density of black and white cards that are still in this pack when I'm looking at it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to, all that points me towards Minister of Obligation, I think, for the pick here. Yeah, there's an uncommon and a common missing. It's hard to imagine like what commons you take over Ministrant here. Because I don't think I would take any commons over Ministrant. I would not take any commons over Ministrant. Not even the jugs. Not even the jugs. All right, so we're three for three here. Moving on to pack one, pick four. The following cards as options. If you want to stay Orzov, you've got an Iggy, ill-gotten inheritance. You've got a drill bit, which is two and a black for the sorcery. Target opponent, target player reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from it. That player discards that card with spectacle for a single black. Why is this card good? Targeted hand disruption is not something I like, but I like Drillbit in my Rakdos decks. Yeah, it's very good in Rakdos. I think frequently because you start the game off hot, you know, you're curving out, you're pressuring Mm -hmm. the opponent, you're casting this for one mana a lot of the time. So, you know, part of the drawback of targeted hand discard is you're spending the mana and the opponent is not to get rid of the card. Mm -hmm. But a lot like it's just sort of like a tap land, right? You can generally fit it into your curve in a turn where it's not really affecting your curve. Like the difference between one mana and three mana for a card like this is huge. And you're reliably casting drill bit for one mana, I think. And then just being able to pick off whatever card is going to help them stabilize, like gain some life or take their archway angel or whatever. It just feels really punishing. Yeah, I agree. That's been my experience as well. I've liked that card quite a bit in my Rakdos decks and even sometimes in my Orzov decks. Uh, And then there's also a split card here, Collision Colossus. If you want to hang on to the Gruul Dreams, Collision is one and a Gruul hybrid for an instant, deals six damage to target creature with flying, and Colossus is red-green for an instant, target creature gets plus four, plus two, and gains trample until end of turn. Yeah, this is an interesting pick here. I think of the two black cards, Ill-Gotten Inheritance is better than Drillbit for me, at least with what we've got now in our Orzov life. I feel like Ill-Gotten Inheritance really shines in aggressively slanted Rakdos or Orzov decks. Mm-hmm. And then Collision Colossus, I think, is probably the best card in the pack on terms of pure power level. But we've already got two Orzov cards. We've picked them more recently than we picked our Gruul Rare to start the draft. And I think... You know, I really want one to two copies of Ill-Gotten Inheritance in any of my black decks, and I'm happy to play more than that if I get them, I think, as long mm-hmm. as I'm aggressively slanted. So I think that leads me to Ill-Gotten Inheritance here over Collision Colossus. 
So I think this is a really perfect time to talk about this card because I still am having a hard time wrapping my head around it. So uh, for anyone who has been watching Ben Stark stream, good for you. For anyone who hasn't, bad on you. It's like the best value on Twitch, I feel like. So I would highly recommend following Ben SMTG on Twitch and checking out his stream. It's like he just is nonstop talking through his lines. Like he just monologues so much value and knowledge about like what he's doing in the draft, what he's doing in the game. So highly recommend. And he's so happy doing it too. I know, I know. And he's been pretty outspoken about ill-gotten inheritance as a card that he thinks is great in a Rakdos aggro deck as a curve topper and thinks that otherwise people are way too high on it and he's been describing it as a lava axe a lot of the time which I think is, is pretty appropriate and so intellectually I agree with him and maybe it's because I draft slower decks most of the time but when I see my opponent play this on turn four no matter what deck I have I generally am terrified of it because if I'm an aggro deck I have to have had like the perfect two three four start to be able to feel like I can race the life gain that this card is going to provide over the next few turns. And if I don't have that sort of start, if I've done any sort of like just trying to set up my mana or set up my board in my gates deck or setting up like my stuff for my Dovin's Acuity deck or my High Alert deck or whatever, like when this comes down, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be so hard to surmount. And in Sealed, I think it's a, a huge problem. We'll talk about Sealed next week. I think you can just build your control decks around Iggy if you don't open good win conditions. So in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I agree. This is a lava axe. But when I see it in play, my heart is very sad. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't so know funny. how to wrap my head around this. And I also feel like I only want one copy generally. So picking it early like this, pick four. Like if I'm going to be an Orzov, I should see an Iggy at some point in the next two packs, right? Like, and do I really want more than one? I, it's it's hard for me to, to figure out how to prioritize this card, how to play it optimally, how to play against it optimally. Oh, I do. I, I think they get better in multiples and aggressive decks. So, you know, I, I don't want to disagree with Ben S here. So I'm probably going to be wrong because uh -huh. Ben's great. <laughs> Much better limited player than I am. But I think one thing that is maybe not being taken into consideration there is that it's so good when you're at parity. It's single-handedly winning you the game when you're at parity. It forces your opponent to take actions they might not otherwise want to take, especially if you've put pressure on them early. So if you've gone like two drop, three drop into ill-gotten inheritance, you're all of a sudden you're pressuring your opponent from two different angles. You're pressuring them on the battlefield with creatures and they have to answer ill-gotten inheritance or they have to, you know, their life total all of a sudden, as soon as you play this card, their life total is like eight points lower than it actually says on the scoreboard, you know? Right. Like even before you activate it, they're, they've lost four life, basically. Yes. Like if you can get to six mana, it's as if as soon as this gets played, they have to play as if their life total is four points lower. Yes. Which is wild. It really is kind of wild. I really, I think it's okay as a one of in controlling decks. I, I'm not in love with it in more controlling decks. I'd rather have better win conditions than this. But I think if you can pressure your opponent's life total, Ill-Gotten Inheritance is a pretty good card being able to attack their life total from multiple angles. And I do think it gets better in multiples. I would start in aggressive Orzov or aggressive Rakdos decks. I would start four, five. Whoa. I mean, if, if I could. I was going to say like two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you could. The other thing about it is it's either like the best card in the matchup or it's a card you don't really want to draw. <laughs> like, it's not a good card. Like against yeah. Gruul, when they're putting down 4-4, four, 5-5 four, five, five bodies, or even Simic, when they're putting down, you know, air homunculuses and or adapting like the hybrids. Ceratoc or adapting hybrids. Yeah, if, they're, if they have big threats that you're in trouble against, 
you probably don't want ill-gotten inheritance. But even then, sometimes, if you get out to an aggressive enough start, you can chump block and then close out the game with inheritance. So that's why I think it's really good in aggressive decks. But in in controlling decks, you're certainly going to be feeling miserable when you play this card and your opponent plays a 4-4. Yeah, I've ended so many games with ill-gotten inheritance. I get my opponent to 4, like I just engineer these turns, where maybe even like I don't have the luxury of living another turn after or two turns after or whatever and i engineer these turns where i can block and then deal damage and da 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 and i get them to four and then i crack and hurt and so many games this past week have ended like that for me yeah i think it's good when you're ahead right it's good when you're at parity and it's pretty bad when you're behind all of that says like this is a good uh, like based on what ryan has talked about with aggressive decks like if you're planning on being ahead this is a really good card in any deck that wants to be ahead yeah, so maybe I just need to move it up in my pick order and stop thinking about it as a, well, I probably only want one and so I can get one and maybe think about it as like a, this is a reason to shape my deck in an aggressive way. Like even with that, you know, that uh, Orzov Unplayables deck I was talking about last week that's playing like two drop, like bad two drop, bad three drop Civic Stalwart, that deck would love these. And like, yes. you you can draft that deck as a fail safe. So like, if you can get a better deck with Iggy, then why not try that? That that makes sense to me. Maybe I just need to move it up in my pick order now. It's the third best black common for me, and I don't think every deck wants it. Mm-hmm. But I think when it's good, it's often one of your best cards in the matchups. And if it, you face a bad matchup, you've got to side it out. Yeah, that's true. Well, oh, what a perfect episode to talk about sideboarding out cards, Benjamin. Oof. Um, <laughs> uh, so I did not land on ill-gotten inheritance here. I sort of decided to toe the line a little bit with Gruel or... Orzov. I think Collision Colossus is a fantastic card in Gruel decks. And while I still don't feel like I have mastered playing red green decks, I feel like I've got a good handle on how to draft them or like why I would want to draft them in my seat. And Collision Colossus feels like a reason to draft Gruel to me, um, at least over Iggy in my mindset of if I want an Iggy, I can get it. Moving on to pack one, pick five, we're going to continue to toe the line here. There's not much to discuss in the gruel realm of things. We've got Gustwalker, Territorial Boar. Which oh my one god, green. please don't. <laughs> one in a green for a 2-2 whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield under your control. Boar gets plus one, plus one, and gains vigilance until end of turn. Look, I still feel pretty strongly that the good gruel decks are playing as many savage smashes as they can, and that just means they want to be backed up with bears. So Territorial Boar is totally fine, but I'm not going to take it here over what feels like a pretty clear final payment to me as the best card in the pack, which is uh, the white black destroy target creature instant speed with some some minor downside. Yeah, I'm certainly nabbing final payment here. Yeah, Um, so that's three Orzov cards, two Gruul cards for me. And then we move on to pack one pick six. And we don't really see any Orzov cards. (laughs) We've got an Orzov Guildgate and an Orzov Locket. Um, But then we've got a Soraform hybrid, the one in a green 2-2 with four green green adapt four, and a Titanic Brawl, which a poor man Savage Smash, totally fine in Gruel as a one of, maybe a two of if you are desperate for it. That's the one in a green fight spell, costs one less if you're targeting a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter already on it. Yeah, I'd be a pretty sad boy in this pack, already having four Orzhov cards and only our Gruel rare. I'd be tempted by Orzov Guildgate, but I think ultimately I'd land on Soraform Hybrid just because I don't think I'm really going to miss the Orzov Guildgate if I end up Orzov, and I am really going to miss Soraform Hybrid if I somehow need to pivot into Gruul. 
So this is, I think, another interesting talking point. I feel like we're spending a long time on this uh, roundtable, but I think it's pretty interesting, especially as we're sort of feeling like we're settling into something here. But this is a pretty big departure from maybe where we were even just a week ago or two weeks ago, talking about like the value of taking Gates super highly. And I think Orzov Guildgate would be a totally serviceable pick here, you know, opening up a lot of options for you down the road, like we talked about last week. But I think this just speaks to how impressed we both are with Soraform Hybrid. I agree. Storeform Hybrid is great for me. The other thing I would say here is that the cards that I have right now incentivize me to not splash. Like Pitiless Pontiff is at its best in straight Orzov. Ministrin is at its best in straight Orzov. And Ill-Gotten Inheritance is at its best in straight Orzov. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that for sure. That's still not to say that you're not going to be happy to play at least, you know, two gates in that deck. Oh, for sure. But you don't probably need to prioritize them this early. Right. That's probably a pretty good place to wrap up as the draft shook out sort of down the pack. Gruel ended up being more open, I felt, than Orzov for me. I got to light up the stage 7th, which I think is sort of criminally late for that card, the uh, Red Ancestral Recall. And then, you know, just sort of got some, like, keyword big stuff and a Gruel gate in the next pack. And then I I ended up getting two Rhythm of the Wilds in pack 2, which is pretty sweet. Though I am a little lower on that card than I was a few weeks ago. I also am, yeah. Despite never having cast it myself, I (laughs) I am lower on it. Yeah, I think I just want Savage Smash over it, like, 10 out of 10 times in Gruel decks. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, so we talked about a couple of these cards that I wanted to check in on in the roundtable, but I have just a few others that I either wanted to like talk to you about or just like get on a soapbox about for a second, if you don't mind. And the first of those is Incubation Incongruity. So this is the Simic split card at Uncommon. So Incubation is a Simic hybrid for sorcery. You look at the top five cards of your library, find a creature from among them, put it into your hand. And then Incongruity is one green-blue instant exile target creature, and then that creature's controller gets a 3-3. You know, I'm generally higher on these effects than most people just because I like access to a, I get to just kill a thing no matter what it is in my decks, even though it gives them a 3-3. But I was playing this on stream earlier this week, and a lot of people were like, well, why do you want this in your deck? What You don't have a lot of creatures. Why are you going to turn one of your creatures into a 3-3? And if people are thinking about this as a way to target your own creatures, I think you're thinking about it way wrong. I think more often than not, you should be killing your opponent's stuff with incongruity. Yeah, this has ICE on the package in case of emergency. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, it's, you know, you play incubation to dig through your library when you want to if you just want to cantrip into a creature. And incongruity is there as your, oh, I need to deal with this thing X. And it's just going to exile it. Like, it's a great answer to Gate Colossus. And it's nice to have that in your deck. I agree. That card's good. Revival Revenge. This is the black-white split card at rare. So Revival lets you pay Orzov, Orzov to return a creature with CMC 3 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And Revenge is four white-black sorcery to double your life total and have your opponent's life total. Have you played this card? I have. It's been good. It's been better than I would have given it credit for after reading the card. Yeah, I've not played with it. Uh, Someone in my Twitch chat, Beers SC, who I think is present in a lot of limited streams, has been higher on the card and keeps saying, I don't know why it's good, but it's been impressive to me. I haven't played it myself, but I wanted to get your input. So like what what situations have you found it? Have you been mostly casting one half over the other? I've mostly been casting revenge, which is shocking to me. But that big of a life point swing a lot of times just makes it so your opponent can't attack you like if if you weren't at parity it kind of puts them up it just slows the game down so much the instant you cast revenge if you're not near dying sometimes it's you know if you're both at 20 that's a 20 point life swing or heaven forbid you've gotten in some damage on them and it's like 15 to 18 then all of a sudden it's 7 to 36 you know like it's just such a it's such a drastic swing in life totals it's it's been 
impressive despite like all of the heuristics that say like don't play cards that just care about life or gaining life or life totals because you're not impacting the board that works especially well in tandem with ill-gotten inheritance i think yeah that's true to put their life pretty low and then you burn them out the rest of the way with the ill-gotten inheritance like those two cards can single-handedly win a game i've left it in the sideboard some too but i've been more willing to put it in my deck can you sort of give a a grade on it or a like this is when i'm looking to take it because i feel like i just don't have it quite high enough in my pick order to nab it appropriately out of a pack i'm not taking it over any of the top black or white commons i think i would take summary judgment over this i think i might take impassioned order probably not yeah somewhere in below the top black and white commons is where it's at for me that's good to know yeah i I have not had the chance to cast it i've seen it cast and both been impressed by and sort of laughed at it but i think uh i think i just need to to maybe grab it for science the next time i see it and the last card I wanted to talk about here is another split rare, Bedeck Bedazzle, that I had a pretty interesting conversation in our Discord last night uh, with Quarter Calls about. This is the Rakdos Rakdos hybrid instant target creature gets plus three, minus three until in turn. I really only want to talk about that half. The second half is a sort of stone rain that deals two damage to the lands controller for six mana. I'm specifically interested in your thoughts about Bedeck versus Grotesque Demise. I think Grotestimize is a better card. That is what I think, too. Folks were talking about uh, Bedeck Bedazzle versus a few other cards. I'm sort of forgetting there was a Nazorius Knight Arbiter in conversation. I think maybe Sorform Hybrid was there. Bedeck, I think, is a fine card. But my issue is that I'm not super happy, like, splashing this in Gruul, because I feel like my Gruul decks are generally base green, so red-red seems tough. But then my, my, my broader issue is that it just doesn't feel like it's better than a common. This doesn't kill a lot of stuff... I feel like there's very few things that this kills that Grotesque doesn't. And Grotesque kills way more things. It exiles them, which is better. And like, it feels more flexible to me as a single black. Like that feels more splashable to me most of the time. Well, so you're talking pack one, pick one. Pack one, pick one. I might be on Bedeck because you can put it in a Gruul deck also. Yeah, I guess my, my thing is, I don't know. I don't know how much I feel like I can. Maybe I'm undervaluing the double spell capacity of it to like turn five. I can play a three drop plus do this or whatever. But I feel like my Gruul decks are generally like 10-7 Forest Mountains, and this feels hard to cast there. And what do you know about Gruul decks? <laughs> I've played some Gruul. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, pack, pack one, pick one. I'm on Bedeck, but I think once you're in black, I would take Grotestimize over it. All right. I, I, I got to think about this a little little while longer. I think I might be on Grotestimize over Bedeck Bedazzle. All right. That is going to move us right into the trophy deck analysis portion here. So I would be remiss... If we did not shout out the kind person from our Discord who pours over all the trophy data and inputs them into these spreadsheets to give us all this sweet, sweet information. So I'm going to probably butcher their name here on Discord. But thank you so much to Ovidiu Calburian for the next segment of the show. We're really excited to share this data with the fine folks out there. And huge shout out to the Lords of Limited Discord for 210 freaking trophy decks. Yeah, hell yes. So we're going to look at a lot of broad stuff here and we're throwing a lot of numbers at you and we'll maybe draw some conclusions from some stuff and sort of pat ourselves on the back for some other stuff, I think. You know, unsurprisingly, of these 210 trophy decks, Esper decks are in the lead here. You've got 37 as straight Orzov, 35 as Esper and 26 as Azorius. So the, the top three there representing the Esper shard pretty heavily. 
feels great. I think that's the best shard in the format. And I think that represents, but there also could be some confirmation bias here because like all of these people are listening to our podcast, right? Right. So yeah, we, there's confirmation bias. We don't know like the denominator of these, like how many Orzov decks or Esper decks are not trophying versus how many Jun decks are not trophying of the ones that we see, you know, like it might be a hundred percent of the times people in our discord draft Rakdos, they trophy or whatever, you know, we don't have those statistics here. So there's, you know, some information out there that we don't have, but I still think this is worth discussing for sure. You know, Rakdos, Simic, and Gruul pulling up the rear there with 21, 18, and 17 trophies. And then we've got some three-color mix. Mardu, 14 trophies, Teamer, 13. Other, 12. I assume other is like four to five-color gate nonsense. But yeah, I'm not surprised to see the Esper Shards there in the lead. Yeah, I would expect to see that as well. This next statistic blew me away. 73% of our trophy decks were straight two-color. Not a splash to be seen. Yeah, you know, that checks out with the early data I shared from my own drafts that like seven of my 11 trophies were straight two colors. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. It's surprising because I feel like more often than not, I am not two colors. And I wonder if that means I should be favoring even weaker straight two color decks. Like, you know, am I supposed to be more excited about ending up just red green at the end of the draft versus being excited about being Esper? I mean, probably not based on some some data here and based on my experience, but I think that's maybe I should be valuing deck consistency a bit more, you know? So if I check on my own statistics here, I think this is so shocking to me because I've got 14 trophies. 11 of my 14 tr- trophies have been splashes. I'm splashing 77% of the time. I've splashed in 34 of my 44 drafts. And my win percentage is about the same as when I'm splashing and not splashing. So maybe that's why that statistic is so shocking to me. Yeah, my win percentage is about the same when I'm splashing and not splashing. And I'm now at about close to 50%. I've got eight of my 18 trophies were splash decks. So it's a, you know sort of balancing out a little bit more. I, I will say that it doesn't surprise me that someone like you is having a higher success rate with splashes than perhaps the wider audience, even the folks in our Discord, is because you are going to build your mana bases in a very responsible and uh, consistent way. And I think that's something that you excel at. And I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, have some maybe learning curves to get over to get to that point. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a hard thing to master, especially in a format where you can splash so much and mana bases are so much of a consideration. So it's just some straight up stats about like the most present cards. Impassioned Orator, my boy, is the top common present in trophy decks. Boom. I was sort of surprised to see this. Frenzied Aranx was pretty far ahead of Savage Smash in terms of its presence in trophy decks. Any thoughts about that? I am way on Savage Smash as the best rule common. Yeah. I wonder if it's because people are more inclined or more likely to like splash Frenzied Aranx because, I don't know, in, in a Jun deck, maybe you have access to, to good black removal, so you don't need the smashes, but you do need the beef. I don't know. Yeah, that was a, a shocking statistic to see. But I st- it, that, I feel like I'm going to see that, but my heart and my mind both say Savage Smash is ahead. Consecrate Consume, that's the Orzov split card to sacrifice a creature with the greatest power that your opponent controls and you gain life equal to its power. That's the top uncommon present in all trophy decks. That doesn't shock me. That card is an absolute bomb. Uh, would you like to guess what rare is the top rare present in all trophy decks, Ben? I'm sure it's Ethereal Absolution. God, I hate that card. <laughs> you would be correct. Yeah, I really hate that card. It's uh, it's awful. It's just so unfun to play against. I wanted to take a look at the top gate payoffs that were present in trophy decks. So we've got the five gate payoffs ranked here. These were all in the top 22 uncommons. So they were like, you know, pretty high up in the list, which doesn't surprise me. Gate Colossus present in 37 decks. Archway Angel present 35, Gateway Sneak in 25, 
Gates of Blaze in 22, and Gatebreaker Ram pulling up the rear in only 20 trophy decks. So since we're dealing with 210 trophy decks, you know, Gateway Colossus Archway Angel in about 14% of those decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm shocked to see Ram at the bottom of that list. That card's a house. I am too. I think, though, I have seen a lot of decks where people seem to be just trying to like jam Gates of Blaze or Gatebreaker Ram in like their Gruul or Simic decks with like four gates. I don't think that's really what you want to be doing. I agree. We also have the stats for the top guild commons in all decks. So not guild specific decks. We did have access to stats both of like the cards when they're just in like the Rakdos cards when they're just in a red black deck versus when they're in all decks. So we just took these for all decks. Rakdos is the only guild that doesn't have the guild gate as the top common among them, which I think is makes sense to me. I feel like Rakdos probably wants to splash the least, maybe maybe Gruul, but I feel like Gruul is such a good base for a gates deck because of Gates of Blaze and Gatebreaker Ram. Um, so just to run through these, Rakdos Trumpeter, or Trumpeteer, as we call him on Lords of Limited here. Uh, the <laughs> Trumpeter is first, Rakdos Guildgate second, Blade Juggler third, Spear Spewer fourth, and Plague White fifth. So Rakdos just trying to, to curve out, beat down, get value out of that Juggler. Not surprised to see Juggler not at the top, just because this is probably not going to be like the best cards, but maybe what you can consistently get. So the thing that this tells me a little bit is I think I just got to value Trumpeter a little bit more. Like I like it a lot in Rakdos decks, and I feel like I, I may, may even want to just like it just a, a, a tiny bit more. I think Plague White is better than Trumpeter in Rakdos Aggro. I disagree. Oh, that's interesting. I, I would pick Plague White over Trumpeter right now. I think every time I would want some trumpeters like I would want three plague whites and one trumpeter, though, I think. Wow. In my two drop slot. My argument for trumpeter is I feel like it's more reliably going to trigger spectacle for you on turn three for juggler, which is huge. And it's not embarrassing when you flood out. I feel like plague white's not a great top deck and trumpeter kind of is. But plague white's two one unblockable. Come on. All right, all right, Martin. <laughs> uh, moving on to Gruul, you got the Guildgate first, Savage Smash second, Rubble Belt Runner third, Frenzied Arynx fourth, and Soraform Hybrid fifth. Yeah, that's the picture of Gruul right there, I think. Uh, Azorius, you got Azorius Guildgate first, Knight Arbiter second, Summary Judgment third, Impassioned Orator fourth, and Law Mage's Binding fifth. I'm surprised to see Knight Arbiter that high up. Yeah, I am too. I wonder if that's because it's being splashed sometimes. Like Maybe. It feels like it's a splashable win con if you're light on win cons. It's also very good in the high alert deck. Very good in the high alert deck. Oh my god. Love me some high alert. Uh, Orzov, we've got Guildgate first, Oligarch second, Final Payment third, Grotesque Demise fourth, and Grasping Thrall fifth. It's a pretty clear-cut example of what Orzov's doing. Yeah, that's exactly what I want my Orzov decks to look like. And same with Simic. You got Simic Guildgate first, Aramunculus second, Soraform Hybrid third, Arrestor's Admonition fourth, and Applied Biomancy fifth. That's just like the picture of some good early aggressive creatures that have mana sinks backed up by the bounce that the color pair has to offer. Yeah, these are all the best commons on curve for all the guilds. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, makes total sense to me, right? Yep. Here's a stat that like didn't surprise me, but it was really interesting to see in action. The average curves of decks look great. Like it's a perfect bell curve or it's a perfect curve coming up from two CMC all the way up to your top end. So got like the average one CMC is 1.5. And then at two, it's like 6.88. So about seven, two drops on average. And then going up to six, three drops on average, about four and a half, four drops, two and a half, five drops, one and a half, six drops. And then it peters off. Like, what a beautiful curve those decks must have. That is a sexy, sexy curve, as I've been talking about on my stream lately. (laughs) So that just, I think, bears fruit to a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. 
which is that two drops are really important in this format, especially the good ones. I mean, I think really being able to affect the board or interact on turn two is something you need to be able to do, I think, to trophy. Yeah, I would agree with that. So we've been saying that it's a Prince format, right? I feel that way, yeah. How do you feel about this average rarity distribution? So we've got 11.3 commons, 5.9 uncommons, 1.9 rares, and 0.24 mythics. That's the average rarity distribution for each deck. I would say that those 5.9 uncommons and two rares on average contain cards that totally swing games. Like Gate Colossus, Gates Ablaze, Ethereal Absolution. There are some nutty commons and uncommons. Uh, some nutty uncommons and rares. So we're including uncommons in prints categories. For right? me, I think so, because the gate payoffs are so game warping. Gate Colossus, Gates Ablaze, and Gatebreaker Ram and Archway Angel to some extent, all have the capability to completely invalidate everything that's happened to the game prior to casting those cards. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I agree completely. I am so much higher on Gates of Blaze this week. I think it's because I've had the opportunity to play it way more in Best of One Arena than I have on Magic Online. That card is completely absurd. It really is. Like, I don't know why a like flexible Wrath like Owen talked about it on limited resources last week. He's like, you get to build your deck around it. So like sometimes it's just Plague Wind or like you get to decide how many gates you want to play. So like some of your creatures survive. Like it's so, so flexible and so strong. Well, and it never kills Gatebreaker Ram. And it never kills your, wait, but it can kill your opponent's Gatebreaker Ram. Yeah. It will never kill your own though. Yeah, it's, it's so good. Uh, here's a stat that I was really happy to see. So the average number of gates per trophy deck was 4.22 and the range of gates per trophy deck was 1 to 11. So not a single one of the 210 trophy decks had zero gates in them. That is awesome. That's awesome. And I think that is how it should be. I think you should be taking them, like we said, as C pluses, maybe even sometimes as B minuses. And they're just good for all the reasons we talked about the past two weeks. They just give you so many things that only lands can provide in a draft. Yeah, that feels great. All right, that's going to move us into the sideboarding portion of the episode. Ben, we're going to sort of run through a bunch of like different scenarios or different categories of things to think about when sideboarding in this format. You want to kick us off here? Yeah, first thing on the list is flying. We say it every format, flying is really, really strong. And there's some ways to combat the Azorius flying menace out of the sideboard. So top of the list, there's Sagittar's Volley, the two and a green plummet effect that destroys a creature with flying and does one damage to each other creature with flying your opponent's control, can pick off those pesky spirit tokens running around. Rubble Slinger has been surprisingly good for me. That's the two red green hybrid card that has reach. I've cited that in quite a bit against Azorius decks and been happy main decking a copy. Even better, it's Big Brother Mammoth Spider, four in the green for the three five reach. And you've got Cry of the Carnarium on the list here. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, so, you know, I'm probably not bringing this in against the Aramunculus Skatewing Spy deck, but I think against Orzhov, this has a place depending on how much afterlife they have. I mean, yeah, it doesn't kill the 2-3. Carrion Imp or Syndicate Messenger? Syndicate Messenger, the Carrion Imp, the Grasping Thrall. But it does stop a lot of afterlife stuff from like Oligarch or Ministrant of Obligation. I think it's good if you've seen the Senate Griffin. That's the 2 Azorius, Azorius 3-2 with Scry 1. Um, so I think it's just something to think about depending on what flavor of flyers you're seeing on the uh, opposing side of the battlefield. That's fair enough. Uh, moving on to enchantments and artifacts. I think this is super important. And there's not a lot of stuff to deal with them. So if we think about just straight up ways to destroy artifacts and enchantments in the format, exposed to daylight. If you are in white, you really need to make sure you end up with one of these in your sideboard. I think I think a lot of games are being decided by powerful 
enchantments at uncommon and rare in this format. Uh, Cinder Vines is the rare, that's the, the red-green enchantment that it itself can be sacrificed to blow up an artifact or enchantment. And I even think, you know, it's going to go around the table, Rampage of the Clans, that's the green rare that blows up each enchantment and artifact and then replaces it with a 3-3 creature token. If you're facing Ethereal Absolution, you will be happy to have your opponent get a 3-3 in exchange for this card. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty extreme one, but you'll pick it up for the sideboard. Yeah, I mean, you're, t- you're telling me you're not going to bring this in against Absolution? Oh, I absolutely would. Yeah. And then there's a lot of enchantment-based removal, Slime Bind, Law Mage's Binding, and Sky Tether. There's a lot of ways to interact with those. What do, what, what do we have here? Yeah, uh, some things that really punish those type of cards, Justiceer's Portal can blink your creature, especially good if you've got it on an ETB thing. Undercity Scavenger can let you sacrifice the thing that's got the enchantment on it. You get a 5-5 Scry 2. That's a huge bonus for 4 mana. Bankrupt in Blood, if they've got a lot of them, you know, you can maybe sacrifice two creatures that have those on them, or maybe you're sacrificing a creature with the enchantment and a spirit token. So all of a sudden, Bankrupt in Blood is looking a lot more appealing. High Alert just embarrasses those cards. Slimebind does nothing against High Alert. Sky Tether does nothing against Sky Alert. Applied Biomancy can let you bounce the creature back to your hand. Arrester's Admonition cantrips you, uh, like gets you a two-for-one while you're bouncing the thing back to your hand that's got the enchantment removal on it. And Final Payment is a good way to sacrifice the creature that's got the enchantment underneath it. So there's a lot of ways, especially in the Orzhov colors, I think, to punish that enchantment removal. Gate Colossus, probably the biggest and baddest of the artifacts in the format. Um, some some sort of niche ways to interact with it, and I think sometimes it is the thing you need to be sure that you can interact with. You know, once it's in the graveyard, Junk Troller does a really nice job of just shoving that right down to the bottom of your opponent's library, which is very strong. I have sided in Deface, I'm not embarrassed to say. That's the single red sorcery to destroy target artifact or creature with defender. Look, sometimes Gate Colossus is the one thing that you're going to lose to, and I want to make sure I have a way to not lose to it macabre mockery can also deny the gate colossus trigger so if your opponent plays a gate you can in response to them putting gate colossus back on the top of their library you can nab it out of their graveyard for the turn carrion imp can exile it permanently as well as consecrate so the relevant half of consecrate consume can nab stuff out of the graveyard forever so just really think about that you know gate colossus isn't only something that you can try and deal with on the battlefield with some way to you know destroy an artifact but you can also interact with it from the graveyard as well yeah, the first time my Gay Colossus got Carrion Imped, I felt cheated. I was outraged. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Carrion Imp is a kind of card that feels, you know, replaceable. I think at the end of a draft in Orzov, you can have a lot of, like, swappable four drops, like Undercity Scavenger and Carrion Imp and Syndicate Messenger all sort of fill different roles. And I think having that flexibility post-board to be like, well, what's actually going to be best against what I'm seeing? And against Gay Colossus, Carrion Imp can do a lot of work. Yeah. Moving on to clear the mind decks, uh, you can cite in Scrabbling Claws against them to start exiling cards from their graveyard. That significantly puts a damper on their game plan. Thought Collapse is very good to counter their second clear the mind. You know, if they go too low on cards and then you nab it with a counter spell, that can really punish them pretty hard. You also can just incidentally mill both their clear the minds. And I think yeah. so. some of the cards we talked about for Gate Colossus are also great too, right? Like if you exile their first clear the mind that's chilling in their graveyard, so Carrion mm-hmm. Imp, Consecrate, things like that can also no, do no, no. work against those Clear the Mind decks. Carrion Imp can only exile creatures. Oh, not Carrion Imp then. That's illegal. Judge! Judge! We're going to need a judge over here on episode 85. Goblin Gathering decks. I still haven't drafted this myself. Have you? I have not, but I am getting smashed by them on Arena. The thing that feels the worst about them is it feels like they're just mising the hell out of you. I know. <laughs> but I but I keep losing to them, so I <laughs> think there's something there. 
I do too. So the the Goblin Gathering decks, you know, if you've seen Burn Bright, that's the all creatures you control get plus two plus O for two and a red. I think Root Snare is a totally reasonable card to side in if you feel like that's the card you're going to lose to. Cry of the Carnarium is great against Goblin Tokens, as well as Dagger Caster. And I put Dagger Caster here, you know, it's probably not going to end up in your board a lot of the time, but even if you're in a, you know, Azorius deck, I might try and splash this against a, a Goblin Gathering deck, just like jam two mountains in my deck for the ability to wipe their board. I think once you get a critical number of Goblin Gatherings, that deck is just good. I think so, because because there are so few things that feel like punish you for that. Moving on to gate decks, you can potentially side in Rubble Reading. That's the three and a red destroy target land, depending on how slow or greedy the opponent looks. I would not recommend that one a ton. Yeah, I've had it cast against me. I have not had it. I have not cast it myself. And when it has been cast against me, it has not punished me at all. Yeah, I, I would not go down that route. If you've seen Summary Judgment, I would bring in basically all copies of Stony Strength that I had in the sideboard because it's such a good way to blow out that card. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I had not thought about that. Against big creature decks, the cards you can think about bringing in, Bring to Trial, that's the two and a white Exile Target Creature Power 4 Grader. Also great against Gate Colossus, by the way. Yeah, for sure. Catacomb Crocodile, a.k.a. the Blockodile, the four and a black 3-7, the Watchful Giant. This card gets laughed at. Watchful Giant is a card in this format. Five and it a white really for three six and brings a one one soldier token along with it. That card blocks a lot of things in the format. I think it was I'm forgetting now if it was Owen on limited resources or Ben S on his stream. But one of them was like, what's really nice about it is that it brings along two bodies so you can block menace creatures, which is a real thing. Uh, slime bind is a really cool way to deny ferocious. If your opponent is trying to get triggers on clear the stage or flames of the raise bore, you can blow them out at instant speed. If they've only got one creature power four or greater and blade brand, I think does a ton of work. You know, if you're Orzov, I would play four copies of blade brand. If I'm against gruel or things like that. Absolutely. Cause it feels like it's going to be so hard to get blown out. And it's such a sick response to a savage smash. Oh yeah. Uh, against small creature decks, I think Cry the Carnarium goes up again. You know, I mean, you really nailed this right out of the gate that it was a sideboard card in this format. I was looking at it with Rick's colored glasses, as you told me, but it is a strong sideboard card against small creature decks. Sort of a problem is that if you can cast Black Black, that you also probably have a small creature deck, but you know, you can and play around it and sideboard around it. Maybe you swap out your Plague Whites for some Trumpeters, some things that don't die to it. And Scorchmark. You know, when I end up in a deck that has multiple scorch marks, I've been pretty happy with like starting one main and putting one on the sideboard because I feel fairly confident that no matter what the matchup, I'm either going to want both or want neither. Yeah, that's fair. So like I like starting with one and then I know I'm going to have to have sideboard considerations. Starting with two or zero feels worse to me than that. And then if we move on to counter magic, some things to punish that rhythm of the wild, you know, obviously your stuff can't be countered quench maybe to fight back in a counter war you know if your opponent's holding up three mana for their counter spell and you can maybe double spell play your two drop they try to counter it you quench their counter spell and just lowering your curve in general i think is good against counter magic if you can get down underneath them you had that nuts mono blue deck with four essence captures i don't know how that deck ever lost that was so beautiful well i lost a double ravager worm that's how i lost was it that i thought you lost your opponent sticking cult guild mage they did stick cult guild mage on turn two on the play that was i was like oh i have no way to interact with this and it's going to start tearing apart my hand <laughs> the thing about decks that are heavily relying on counter spells is you if you get under them then you just continually punish them for wanting to hold up mana like once you're ahead on board you don't need to play into a counter spell i think there was a really good podcast episode about that a few weeks ago this guy sounds smart 
Yeah. Against aggro decks, more cheap removal, scorch marks, lower your curve, as we said, fairy duelist. I mean, I think you're just probably main decking like all copies of fairy duelist you end up with anyway, but if somehow some have ended up in your board, definitely bring those in. They're really punishing, just like fairy chupacabra, as we've been calling it. Incidental sources of life gain, impassioned orators, sylvan brush strider, I think is just nice as being able to trade with something and give you two life along the way. Viscopa vampire, sweet. Four toughness blockers against Plague White is pretty huge. You know, my kingdom for a pillar field ox, any sort of 2-4 or 2-5 against this card is going to be great. Spirit of the Spires is backbreaking when you're playing Plague Whites. Oh, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can definitely imagine that. Footlight Fiend, I think, goes up in value once you've seen X1s out of your opponent or seen aggressive decks, like just being able to play a one drop that's going to trade with their twos or their threes. Uh, Revival Revenge, that's the rare we talked about that can just gain you a bunch of life. Axebane Beast may just secretly be the best blocker in this format. I really like citing an X-Bane Beast against aggro decks. It's just a brick wall. I got on that because my aggro decks kept staring at the Orzhov CCDD card. And, you know, it didn't even matter that I discarded a card or they gained three life. I just couldn't attack through it. And I was like, well, if this is giving me this much trouble, (laughs) Axebane Beast has got to be great against aggro decks. If you're in the control mirror, that's something I find myself in a lot when I'm drafting these dirtily Esper decks. You can bring in Clear the Mind if it's appropriate, even if you're not like full on on the Clear the Mind plan. If you're worried about running out of win conditions or like them getting milled, maybe or whatever. Persistent Petitioners, I think, and Screaming Shield can both be good ways to try to close out the game or pressure your opponent in a different way than attacking. Prying Eyes gets a lot better here if the game's going long and you can afford to spend six mana to draw two cards and pitch a couple lands counter magic i think goes way up in value like thought collapse to nab their key spell to nab their clear the mind whatever um, i'm much more happy playing counter magic when i'm in the control mirror underseas embrace can be really good you know if your opponent's relying on sticking you know a few big threats that can go way up in value if they don't have any afterlife and drill bit i think is really good uh, maybe not even in the control mirror but just against control drill bit's just a great card we talked about that earlier for sure. And then if we look at like the specific archetypes that you're going to be facing against Orzov, cards like Concordia Pegasus or Senate Courier that blank the 1-1 spirits, I think are really strong here. Ways to exile things, Scorchmark, Grotesque Demise, Bring to Trial, though Bring to Trial is probably only nabbing like a Debtor's Transport or the Seraph of the Scales at Mythic. You want to put Orzov on the play. Can you talk a bit about that, Ben? Yeah, when I, I've played a, more Orzov than anything else by a fair margin, and I almost always want to be on the draw, and I almost always choose to draw first. And my opponents, after I draw first and beat them in game one, keep putting me on the draw again in game two, which I just think is wrong. As Orzov and the gate deck, those are the two decks where I really want to be on the draw. And frequently the gate deck, I want to be on the draw because I can't afford to mulligan on the play. Like mulligan so punishing if you draw a hand with the the wrong gates. So those two decks, I really want to be on the draw. And I think Orzov really values that extra card because a lot of times if they don't draw Dead Revels or an Orzov locket, they have trouble outside of Afterlife generating card advantage. So the extra card on the draw is a big boost for Orzov. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, I'd been on strict, always on the play all the time, basically, until I was watching Ben Stark stream this past week. He seems to be consistently putting himself on the draw. And I think that sort of helped if you follow the average curve of trophy decks. Like if you can consistently affect the board on turns two and turns three, that extra card is going to matter a lot more. Right, because this format's so slow and grindy. If you're up against Gruul, you're citing in every death toucher you can find, including blade brands. High-powered blockers like Spike Wheel Acrobat, Prowling Caracal have done some work for me against Gruul. Like just a mm-hmm. terrible card like Spike Wheel Acrobat trading with their, you know, Rampaging Renhorn or whatever is really important. 
and again, high toughness blockers like the Crocodile, the 3-7, and Sky Tether and Slimebind and cards like that just embarrass Gruul. So if you've got some copies of Slimebind laying around in your sideboard, bring them on in. Uh, against Azorius, you want ways to punish enchantments. Even if you haven't seen a slime bind or a Law Mage's Binding or a Sky Tether out of game one, I would anticipate that if your opponent is in Azorius, they have access to that. So, you know, think back to what we talked about. You're bringing in an Undercity Scavenger. You're bringing in a Justiciar's Portal, that sort of thing. Ways to go Flyers. Obviously, Sagittar's Volley is great. More ways to block Flyers. And... <laughs> And you've got uh, Prey as the third bullet point here. Yeah, I was just trying to think, like, what do I want to do against Azorius? And it's hard. Like, Azorius doesn't have many weaknesses. It, there's not really a way to attack it other than, like, I think, Gruul with large monsters. But you're already playing all your large monsters. Yeah, I mean, Azorius is just the best deck, right? I think it probably is. It's so close with Orzov, but I think Azorius just laughs at Orzov so hard that it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's so close. It's tough. Against Rakdos, you know, see everything we talked about against aggro decks. That's exactly what you want to do. All that life gain, etc., etc. And I think against Simic as well, I think the best versions of, of Simic decks are going to be aggressive. You want to lower your curve. Instant speed interaction is really great here. You know, being able to blow out your opponent or like tempo them out when they go to adapt their Soraform hybrid is pretty big game. I would also think about that as a Simic player, like when to adapt and when not to adapt is a really fascinating mini game in and of itself. And I think it's just something to really be aware of because that turn where you go to sink six mana into something and then you get responded to, that can be the, the turn that decides the game. Right. Frequently, I think it's right to do it pre-combat if you know you're going to do it anyway so that you don't get blown out by grotestomizes or summary judgments or whatever. Right. Yeah, for sure. And if you're against the Gates deck, again, this is another one that's tough to sideboard against. I think you really need to try to go underneath or pressure them in some unique way. Like, I think Ill-Gotten Inheritance is really strong against the Gates deck because they're wanting the game to go long, and that, that one life really ticks up against them. Feels like you have to try and, like, beat them either super fast or, like, on some different axis, like milling them or something. <laughs> yeah. And so just to put into practice what we preach here a little bit, uh, we wanted to take a look at one of my decks and what cards are sort of in the sideboard and when you might want to think about bringing them in or just what you're what you're thinking about, you know, even before you're going into your matches, just like as swaps to potentially make. So this is kind of a mid-range-ish Rakdos deck that's splashing for Grasping Thrall, Ethereal Absolution, and Consecrate Consume. And you've got four white sources to do that. You've got three Orzhov Guildgates of Plains. You've also got three Rakdos Guildgates. So your mana is pretty good. You've got a couple Footlight Fiends at the bottom of your curve, a couple Fireblade Artists, a Rakdos Trumpeter, two Burning Tree Vandals, a Skewer the Critic, Grotestomize. You've got some removal. You've got some Dead Revels to recur threats, an Ill-Gotten Inheritance, Blade Jugglers in your pile, Catacomb Crocodile to block. You've got a couple Get the Points as removal spells for bigger threats. And then you've got a Debtor's Transport sitting at the top of your curve. So really, you, you kind of want to control the game and stick Ethereal Absolution, I think, is probably the game plan. Just try to mm -hmm. kind of generate value, et cetera, et cetera. And so as far as options in the sideboard, there's a Rakdos Trumpeter, there's a Drill Bit, there's a second Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which I don't have in the main deck because this isn't the most aggressive of decks, so I didn't want multiples of it. There's another Blockadile, the 3-7. There's a Gore Clan Wrecker as another four drop you could potentially side in. Spike Wheel Acrobat, the 5 2 we talked about. And you've got a Rubble Slinger and a Rakdos Locket. Those are probably the most impactful sideboard cards. Yeah, I think so. This is a pretty deep bench you have here. You know, when we think about it in the context of. 
the past 10 or 15 minutes of the episode. Like you've got a lot of different pieces to bring in against different decks. You know, I think, uh, I think I wouldn't be afraid of bringing in the spear spewer and the Iggy if I wanted to like make sure I could push through damage in a non-combat sense. You know, if you're playing against Azorius, that's going to just stick a bunch of high toughness blockers. I think it's important to be able to like combat them on that different access. I think that's nice. You know, you've got targeted hand disruption with drill bit. You've even got some untargeted hand disruption with rafter demon. Um, so if you're playing against someone who's like playing an end raise forerunners or something, some sort of thing that you feel like is going to be the last card in their hand, you've got access to nab it out of that hand. You know, you've got what we talked about, the high toughness blockers and spike wheel acrobat. If you want that, you've got rubble slinger against the, the flyers. And I even like that you don't have a locket here, though. Actually, I might be inclined to start it considering your five drop slot and your six drops. But it's nice to have that as access if you feel like the game's going to go longer. If you're going to be trying to out card advantage someone like, yeah, you've already got blade brand and dead revels, but locket can just do a really nice job there. It can also help to catch you up. If you feel like you're going to be on the draw and you're going to want to make sure you get to your five drop slot, it can catch you up on mana a little bit. I, I like the the amount of options you have here. Right. This deck really can transform into a more aggressive version of itself if I'm matched up against a deck that can go bigger than me. And I have the, the ability to go a little bit slower if I want to. Right. Yeah. It looks like you're a little aggressively slanted at the start here with the double Fireblade Artist, the double Footlight Fiend, trying to finish off the game with Iggy. I think that you can definitely like swap those out depending on how you feel like the deck is going to work out. You know, if maybe your opponent's got a, a ton of life gain, then then maybe you need to go the longer route with the ill-gotten inheritance or something or maybe you need to go under them before they get to slam their archway angel like there's a lot of stuff to think about here but i i definitely like how you've started this deck but i also like the amount of options you have here yeah so just kind of be thinking about those things as you're drafting and even before you get into the rounds before you know what you're matched up against kind of know what the good sideboard cards are in the format and when when you want to bring them in yeah i mean this is just another layer you know last week we talked about prioritizing gates in draft and sort of like what cards were taking over them. And then it can be sort of tough to think about, well, like, am I going to make playables? Do I need to take this like medium main deck card versus this flexible sideboard card? It's a lot of slots to be thinking about in terms of fulfilling the amount of cards you want to start in your deck, but then making sure you have the ability to sideboard and limited, because I feel like most people don't. I think a lot of people just go, all right, I'm going into game two, submit. And I think you have a lot more decisions to make than that. Especially in this format, because I feel like the decks have such clear goals. So if you can find ways to combat what your opponent is trying to do, you definitely want to do that. All right, that's a great place to wrap us up. Uh, we've got our achievement list out. Those have been rolling in. I think we've got maybe about half of them crossed off so far, thanks to the hard work of Draft Diary and some other folks. <laughs> Um, I just got one myself. I plague winded my opponent last night on Arena. It felt great. Nice. If you've got any of those crossed off yourself, please take a screenshot and tweet them at Lords of Limited or send us an email to lordsoflimited at gmail.com. And when you tweet those, use the hashtag RNA Treasure Hunt. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. You can check us out on Twitch and Twitter. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can also tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
All right, that is going to move us into the sideboarding portion of the episode. Ben, you want to talk about some like big picture sideboarding stuff before we get into the specifics here? Like what? <laughs> I don't know. Like, never mind. So I guess that's a no. Um, all right. All right, that's going to move us into the sideboarding portion of the episode. Ben, we're going to sort of run through a bunch of like different scenarios or different categories of things to think about when sideboarding in this format. You want to kick us off here? 